0: One of the nice things of sitting and watching everyone begin to appear one by one, um, it's as if um, we're engaging a kind of a Vipassana, naming present moment experience, um, like a Hakomi experiment where we notice what's arising in each moment. And what's arising is, and you you name them, like I'm thinking, itch, pain, planning, but this time it's like Mary Beth, Catherine, Steve, Maria, Josh. (laughs) Each name arises as you sit and open yourself to what's happening. There's Helen, there's Chris, there's Margaret. Um, It's it's an interesting uh, noting of what's arising. So let's continue to sit with the wholeness, the fullness of our experience as we sit together for a few minutes. As we continue to sit together you might consciously direct your attention to your breath and to your body. No need to really change anything or manipulate anything, just move your attention to your body, to your breath, and notice what you discover, just a comfort, a discomfort, a a simple pleasure and ease, maybe a small pain or tension, and with as little judgment as possible, just noticing. this body, here, now. And in this brief moment, you might also notice that your awareness, your consciousness, your mind is directing your attention. What's the quality of that attentiveness, maybe a, a mindful, open attentiveness. There may also be some lingering concern you brought with you or some bit of worry about what's going to happen later in the day or, or just daydreamy, drifty thoughts. What's the quality of your mind? Your awareness attends to your sensing body and thinking mind. And also the quality of your own heart. What feelings, what's present now in your heart? into the simple image of, like a flower, is it relatively open or a bit more closed? Without judgment, just noticing. And simply breathing. Allowing this gentle, mindful attention to unfold present moment experience noticing what's here what's how you're meeting this moment If you would, let's recite the four practice principles as our beginning today instead of our ending, and we'll do the verse of the robe at the end. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment. Exactly the dream, each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. I hope that it's easy for you to to hear and to feel as we recite those lines the real essence of what you're actually practicing. Um, As we're caught in the the dream of everyday thinking experience and rely on those thoughts as actual reality, we miss the present moment. But each moment life just as it is, is a vast source of, of knowledge and information to teach us how we stand in relationship to ourselves and the rest of the world. Uh, maybe gives us some information about our unnecessary suffering that we might be engaged in, caught in. And being just this moment, resting deeper into the moment as I was inviting you is the way of compassion, is the way of, of meeting this, this life. As Kathy reminded us last week, uh, without our opinions about it, without our comment, without our uh, particular preferences, One of the foundational teachings that the Buddha brought us was uh, the teachings on the fundamental practice of mindfulness. And the Satipatthana Sutra um, talked about various facets of mindful awareness, beginning with the body as we did just a moment ago. And there are certain, uh, without going into the the Sutra and a lot of the um, um, translations of uh, many of the the ancient words, um, the Buddha talks about contemplation, the capacity to see clearly. Uh, Some of the, the words are translated as to repeatedly look at, to closely observe. And this is how we bring our our consciousness forward, how we illuminate it, how we turn the light on, enlighten actually, wake our consciousness up from the sleepy unconscious way that we often move through life. And this kind of mindful attention and awareness that the Buddha taught was in the service, and this is really important, was in the service of realizing impermanence, to see that, understand that, to realize that in our body deeply, and emptiness, this no individually existing self, this vast interdependence, that mindfulness helped us do that, helped us understand impermanence and emptiness and the dissatisfaction that comes with living in an impermanent, interdependent body in the world. Mindfulness was not developed, was not developed or taught as a means of self-improvement, which is the secular way that it's being used quite a bit today. Uh, That's not a problem, it's quite useful, but it's not what the Buddha taught. Mindfulness was taught in the service of seeing through the solidity of a self that we create, that we hold to, that isn't worthy of our faith and that we feel distress when we began to lose and to understand that it isn't what we thought it was. And in those ancient teachings, the Buddha taught two hands, shamatha, vipassana. Shamatha is this opening, this emptying, this vast spaciousness of our, what our mind and our lives really are about. And vipassana, which is insight, as we rest in this Spacious awareness, we began to see more clearly. And Chan, which became Zen, uh, Chan in China was called silent illumination. Shamatha, the openness of the deep, deep, profound silence and stillness. And Vipassana, the insight and awakening that comes in that process. That's early, early teachings. And in the Zen practice that, that we um, found our... Um, our lineage on comes out of Chan, which is founded in basic Buddhism. And it's, it's a process in which we're using our body. Our body practices. Back to the first foundation in training. And this comes through our forms. The way we bow, the way we walk, the way we sit. And these are all mindfulness practices. Not holy rituals that you're good if you know how to bow or You've done the right thing if you step into the zenda with the right foot, the correct foot. I know these are simply mindfulness trainings to help us stay awake in the moment to the embodied presence of how we're actually meeting the world. Another one of the translations for sati, mindfulness, is to remember. And in Zen practice, we're remembering with the body as we engage the forms to express our fundamental awakening by sitting and by doing everything we do, not using mindfulness techniques to try to become something, but to realize and wake up to who and what we really are. So I go through all of this, this arc of seeing just a little review of early Buddhist teachings the Chan way of understanding and integrating those teachings really with Taoism, which became Zen and how we maintain still this emphasis on the body as a vehicle of awakening. Because in this arc of reflecting on my teachers and really reflecting on all the teachings that have brought us to where we are in the Apamata way of practice, today I wanted to talk about uh, Ron Kurtz, the founder of the Hakomi Method which he called originally Body-Centered Psychotherapy, and using mindfulness as its foundational tool. He's another in the series of my ancestors. And once again, I speak about it as a vehicle to in, invite your inquiry into your own practice, not just to spotlight a teacher, but to realize that what's coming through in this process of um, transmission that I'm involved in, he is one of those people. As was Blanche and Joko, uh, John Gladfelter, as I spoke about last week, and now Ron Kurtz and what happened between us and what was transmitted. Curiously, as Ron was closer to dying in his will, he named me among a small group of people as his, what he call legacy holders, which are actually um, disciples who carry the transmission of the Hakomi Method. So I was surprised and blessed by that uh, acknowledgement. <clears throat> and I can't really talk about Ron without talking about Donna Martin, one of his primary disciples, probably the foremost uh, Hakomi teacher in the world right now, and the person with whom I'm blessed to have taught with for um 25 years or so now, is the reason I'm in Hawaii, because of Donna bringing me to Hui La'ana here. Um, <clears throat> I can share uh, very quickly a brief image of um, me and Donna here. I laugh at this image because it looks a little bit like an engagement picture, but um, let's see. Are you seeing the one of Donna and me? Okay. Yes. Great. But it's a lovely picture. Uh, And uh, Donna came to Hakomi from a background in counseling, but also she was a very, very long-term yoga teacher. So her understanding of the body-centered aspects of practice were profound, and she's influenced me quite a bit uh, in that process. And then, of course, uh, there's Ron, and the image I'm gonna show is actually from our training that i engaged in Um, he was an interesting guy in the introduction that i wrote to the loving presence book i said that if he hadn't been a psychotherapist or an innovator in mindfulness he would have been a stand-up comic he was hilarious and and quite uh, a joy but my my emphasis is I wanted to talk about once again, the relationship um, and what the relationship taught. And this is a very unusual picture maybe to show, but there's me and Ron and Donna. And interestingly, my long-term, my deepest partner in psychotherapy, Linda McCarley's in the background who I met when I was 14 years old. We got our PhDs together. We were in practice together in Austin for many, many, many years. She's another one of my ancestors in a way. And we were in a training in um, in Oregon, which was an unusual training. And I'll get back to to speaking about some of that. But I wanted to at least give you a feel for some of these people who are so dear to me. Linda, the woman in the background that I said I'd known for so long, we were in our office one day in Austin and she said, I think we should do some training with Ron Kurtz. Because the emphasis on the body was uh, really important in our way of doing therapy. And Linda was very, um, uh, as a former, she was trained as a nurse also and understood uh, the embodiment so well. And we found that Ron was teaching something called a loving presence training a week at Esalen, Esalen Institute in California, in December of 1993. So it's quite a long time ago, almost almost 30 years ago now. And so we signed up and went with a couple of our friends um, in a way, to, partly to have a vacation, because it's always great to go to Esalen. Um, and to meet Ron. And of course, those uh, delightful um, decisions that you make sometimes uh, turn your life as this did. And it was the early days of Ron teaching a loving presence sequence out of Hakomi and that's uh, more for a class later, but I met someone in that training who had also uh, joined us and he was reading a little book with him during the breaks called Zen Mind Beginner's Mind. And I asked him about it. And he said, yeah, he, he said, I just finished a practice period at Green Gulch and just left and came down to Esalen. I said, what's a practice period? What's Green Gulch? And he said, well, it's a in training center and Suzuki Roshi was the founder. This was my beginning in this workshop with Ron. And by the end of the week, Ron said, you know, I'm, I'm starting a three year training program, but I'm calling it psychotherapy as spiritual practice. And so those of us who came from Austin, uh, me, Linda, um, Dina Roberts and Carolyn Crumpton, two other therapists, we signed up for this three year retreat. I say three year retreat, three year training where we would go for one month, all of August, for every year, for three years and live in residence, uh, in a Tibetan retreat center in the forest near Ashland, Oregon, in that tent that you saw us lying in, because it was hot during the day with Donna Martin and her first training with Ron as a teacher. Following that three years, we brought Ron to Austin to do a three year training. At Tenzo, some of you have been to that facility out west of town, uh, facility where we've done many wonderful retreats and many teachers have come where I was ordained. And then later, the last retreat in Austin with Ron and Donna was at Alpamata in that little house. Um, so there's a, a long history of what Ron called later in his life learning assisted self discovery and mindfulness. His definition of the Hakomi method assisted self discovery and mindfulness. Uh, Donna was doing trainings in the UK. She asked me to come teach with her at one point. And those trainings uh, were the source and the seed for which grew all of the sanghas in the Just This consortium of sanghas in the UK. And uh, Josh and and Trudy and and Catherine and uh, the people who have been head student were all Hakomi trained people in that early training. I went to Madison, Wisconsin to do some Hakomi trainings in Loving Presence. Um, and that became the Open Door Zen community eventually. And on and on it's gone. Assisted the self-discovery in mindfulness. Assisted the essence of spiritual friendship. It's relational, the foundation of the appa way of practice. What Dogen would call only a Buddha and a Buddha. That this self-discovery happens between in these profound relationships, which is the, the foundation of all the old koans in Zen practice, all of those teaching stories. It's assisted. We help each other. Assisted self-discovery. Self-discovery, making conscious the ways we organize experience, unconsciously mostly, and carry in as embodied habits in the world. It's interesting, when we sit in zazen and take a posture, we're relinquishing all of our embodied habits, and instead, engaged in a practice, which is an upright posture and a certain mudra and a certain way of sitting, And when we relinquish our habits and engage in this mindful activity we can feel the tug of the old habits that we've just set down and we wake up to what we do we wake up to who we think we are we wake up to who we've become by engaging these habits mostly unconsciously out of our awareness And this is beyond a kind of a process in which we just gain insight. We literally wake up through assisted self-discovery in mindfulness, the primary tool developed by the Buddha, to see through the apparent solidity of this thing we call a self, not as an instrumental tool for self-improvement, for actually the dissolution of the way we cling to a self and open to something much, much larger. When Dogen said, most famously, to study the Buddha way, is to study the Self. To study the Self is to forget the Self, or to step beyond the solidity of the Self. And he goes on, to forget the Self is to be actualized by the myriad things. To step beyond our self-centered dream, and to open to the world that's creating us. And then he goes on, when actualized by myriad things, When we open in this way, your body and mind, as well as the bodies and minds of others, drop away. We drop away the self-centered dream. No trace of realization remains, and that no trace continues endlessly. We don't get something. We just open to all of life in a deep appreciation. When Ron first began to develop the Comey Method, he was in Boulder, Colorado, and he brought this method, which he'd been doing kind of on his own, to some of the senior teachers at the Naropa Institute in Boulder, a Buddhist university. And they said, Ron, this is basically applied Buddhism. And hopefully you can hear in what I'm saying, that this is the case. And the heart of it became a loving presence, A a training modality, once again, this is larger than we have time to speak about today, but that actually holds the qualities of the 4 brahmaviharas, the four immeasurables of the Buddha's teaching, of loving-kindness, the unconditional friendliness that naturally emerges through our wakeful practice, compassion, our ability to meet suffering and not turn away, to stay with others. A sense of equanimity or balance, of composure. Sort of the yoga, being able to take any pose and remain composed. And sympathetic joy. The joy of our heart opens and is filled by the joy of others. It's not self centered. These are the qualities of loving presence and are the foundation of the Hakomi method, but it's also the foundation of Buddhist practice. And the heart of upamada itself, of mindful, diligent care, the relational way that we practice through upamada, and is carried forward. So I wanted to once again speak about a, a teacher, but also the teachings, and how it's so fundamental and foundational in the way that we practice uh, apamata Zen. And the way that you practice, and the way that it's foundational in inquiry—to asking ourselves, "Who who am I? What is this? What am I clinging to? Where have I been caught in my habitual ways?" I'm gonna I'm gonna go on just for just for a moment. Uh, let you hear Ron's voice because you hear the way he begins to speak. <clears throat> um, it won't take a long time with this, but. When he begins to describe the method, listen to what he says right away. Well, the first thing you want to know about it is, it's about helping someone study themselves. You want to find out why you do what you do? I can help you do that. And that's a, that's a the general attitude and it requires, uh, it's, it happens in certain phases. Um, there's a phase where we prepare to do this self-study part. Um, and in that phase, we build a relationship and we, uh, we find things that we can self-study. We'll maybe link that With the inquiry so you can take a look at it further. But you can see that self-study is foundational not only in what Dogen was saying in the 13th century but what Ron was saying in that and that we can find a way to do that in a relationship. If you listen to that video which is only about six minutes long and every time he says therapist just translate spiritual friend or teacher and you'll hear everything that we actually do and Zen practice in a way in opening ourselves to who and what we really are beyond the self-centered dream that we hold to that keeps us in unnecessary suffering. And he speaks about that, that directly. But you also get the warm feeling of what Ron was like. <clears throat> I want to invite you to raise your hand, of course. Not just to reflect on what you've heard, but to ask whatever questions you have or bring forward. But first, I'd like, if I could, I think Josh was here. Um, If he would raise his hand and come forward just for a moment. And I'll do that uh, because he's one of the people who had, uh, oh, and Trudy, thank goodness. Um, Both of them have had direct uh, experience with Ron, um, and, and Trudy still is one of the very senior trainers in Europe and really in the world in the Hakomi Method right now. So if you might want to make a comment of maybe of what you've heard or anything that's come forward as I've spoken this, this morning, I'd love to hear your voices. <clears throat> <laughs> and I didn't see you earlier, Trudy, that's why I mentioned Josh's name.
1: I was, uh, I was doing Meals on Wheels. Oh, yes,
0: with the family. Oh. Our, our blessings go to you with all of the struggles that you've both had.
1: Thank you. I, I was um, so touched when you were just talking about, um, about Ron and the gift that, that came through Donna and then you, and for me, the sense of um, the practice of loving presence that having been a therapist in another modality where you kind of invited people to offer unconditional positive regard, but you gave them no clue how to do it, to move into Hakomi and find this whole practice that really allowed it to to become an embodied experience, that, that just that practice, if you look for what inspires you, something, just opens and softens in your heart and that was um that fitted so much for me but it was also so expansive so um mm-hmm. you know I've I've had a real feeling of um my hakomi colleagues being my, my spiritual friends mm-hmm. um, you know the the foundation of that in our practice um and yeah just immense gratitude for that really and for yeah. For that that sense of lineage
0: um, is a strong thread, isn't it? And,
1: uh,
0: it might, and one might not understand it until you experience it. That it it teaches us how to fall in love with the world,
1: absolutely. Mm.
0: Even with all of its everything,
1: with everything,
0: yeah. and ultimately with each other.
2: Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel so touched by your by your talk, Flint. I feel quite. Tearful, um, and uh, I remember when I knew you were coming to um, Sheffield to to uh, to teach us and uh, and kind of really getting in touch with those first days when you gave a talk and we had coffee with you, and just how everything has kind of flowed like a stream through. The UK um, through the um, the great gifts of many people, such as Ginny and Donna, and uh, we have to mention
0: Ginny. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, and and just so much gratitude that the stream, even before I met you, was just flowing through the '90s, and you were doing all of that, and mm-hmm. yeah, just. Just so grateful for for these um these wonderful opportunities and experiences and and people mm-hmm. yeah it's very very beautiful to hear you you talk about people you love in recent weeks it's so heartening
0: well it's the, it's the energy i think that carries us forward mm-hmm. without that we're yeah. just like in some university <laughs> Carrying knowledge forward, which is nice, but this is a different thing. Yeah, how we I, carry each other forward. That stream is is alive.
2: Yeah, and I've just thought of the stream in Switzerland, and it's uh, Sophie's birthday today. Oh, um, that's she, wonderful. She's up in the mountains looking after the cows, but you know she too has you know created Absolutely. that stream for right. us. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much for your comments and your support.
2: Thank you
0: sitting there long. Um, and if i ask um i don't know if it's possible together even though you're separated john eric and jessica can you both come on since we're doing couples i plan <laughs> and the uh the reason i ask is because you've been so immersed in Hakomi yourselves uh but you didn't know ron directly so what's it like as a as a next generation and and very very committed zen practitioners uh, how how does this flow for you two
3: i see Hakomi and akamata as as very much one and the same thing akamata is where i first encountered Hakomi, and it's where i think i've learned um where I first encountered loving presence just through you and Peg and, and the rest of the sangha. I really felt it in a embodied way. Mm-hmm.
0: Jessica, any reflections?
3: Yeah, I I mean I I feel it through you. I feel it through you and through Donna. Um I've studied in a lot of different arenas, uh, even and through different teachers, and um, I think the realization of loving presence being the foundation of everything has been absolutely life-transforming. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: thank thank you for uh, for that because we're in in some ways. Um, affirming this way of transmission that continues uh, so so thank you both very much and for your continued <laughs> transmission
3: we I uh, have one thing to add we whenever we see a heron or a crane we call it Ron John Eric and I yeah. and so we, we feel like Ron is always with us in the in the birds
0: um, um. And I didn't say, but I think everyone might know that Ron has died, so he's not with us any longer. So, but he is in that in that that certain way. <clears throat> I will. Uh, when when Peg when we were developing so much of what we've done at Appamata, um, she said, "What should I train?" And I said, "Why?" Because she had vast training in so many things, and I suggested that she do the Hakomi training, and we developed that group in Austin and. I said, do the Hakomi training, and then do the IFS training. And those two things together will help you unfold Zen practice, which is not psychotherapy, and is not just Hakomi, but it will provide you foundations which will unfold it in ways that are, that are quite profound. And she did that, and to her credit, involved both of those um, streams in our precepts program quite deeply. Are the things that this brings forward to others of you? I know I've I've called on a few people, but I want to hear from from others. Um, what's what's opening at this moment? So this is not merely a memorial service to Ron. <laughs> what's alive right now? Hi, Laura.
4: Hi, Flint. I just wanted to express how through these tuesdays and hearing about some of the lineages with which you've studied a real realization of what you can create by doing these practices and showing up with discipline in your life that it's not just you know the benefit that one gets as an individual but um the platform that you have also developed through these relationships and the honoring that you're able to do for others and that they can do for you. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I'm, I'm kind of seeing how discipline full hearted expression and really stepping forward into the unknown into these scary places of sharing what you know and creating space um, opens up so many opportunities for those rivers to flow that Josh was sharing about
0: yeah, part of what I hear is without disciplined practice, you're not going to get anywhere. You're yes. going to study things and learn a lot of good stuff. You're not going to transform yourself or the world. Mm. Number two, you can't do that alone. You stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm. And it's really important to acknowledge them.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes. Am I hearing you? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for expressing it. And I think so as right. Think, and as a young person, thinking of my journey and, and sort of, you know, what I want to do in the world, there it really has illuminated more of this aspect of how I want to show up, less about the doing, but how I show up then creates invitations for doing things that will have meaning and will have purpose, but realizing that the practice really is at the foundation of yeah. all of that and the relationships as you're as you're elevating too.
0: And how you show up is the way Ron was going to, starting that video, which you can watch later. <clears throat> For example, if I go to um, a professional conference, of um, call me IFS, American Group Psychotherapy, I used to go to, but anything else like um, uh, Buddhism in America conference, I've got, I don't look to see some topic I want to learn. I look to see who I want to be with.
5: Mm.
0: I don't care what they're talking about. I want to be in their presence and be with them, and feel what. How is this person in the world,
4: mm-hmm. so
0: I can find that. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for.
4: Yeah, this I'm other
0: me. stuff that's easy. I can read books. Right. What's valuable is how can I be with another person, so that what's transmitted can start to move through us.
3: Mm.
4: I so appreciate you articulating that because in our traditional way of thinking of achievement and academia, that's not how we position sort of um, quality time or quality things to pursue the presence. And this also makes me think of um, a recent David White, the poet um, talk that he gave and it incorporated this essence of embodying your voice, letting your, boi- your voice be a full-bodied expression. And as a public speaker, how sometimes we lock our voices up in our throats and we're very uh, in our heads as we speak and certainly as a a bat with a background in theater there's this performative feeling to it and i'm really realizing that part of this work is also unlearning so much of what i've learned to how to navigate the world and my useful habits and conditions and getting to this place of like a full-bodied voice and the rawness of expression and just as you you pointed out how that can draw people in a two-way street. It's not about being somebody that others are pursuing or want to necessarily listen to, but um, the freedom in that, the freedom in the expression of discipline through these practices.
0: That was a nice description of body and mind dropping away to the immediacy and the uh, um, authenticity that comes through Zen practice, Mm -hmm. what you're just talking about. It's a Mm -hmm. massive, not just unlearning, it's, it's a softening and dropping away, So there's something else comes forward and that something else, it are those wonderful qualities. Mm -hmm. I want to see other people who are manifesting that because they're going to show me how. And those are the people I'm honoring.
4: Yeah, And I want to thank you, too, because your role in my life has demonstrated this and has shown me what I want to continue to embody and all of the mystery of um, what can come from that, from that kind of curiosity, the unknown, and the foundation of practice.
0: That's our hope. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thanks
4: for letting me explore this with you. (laughs) Kim, you'll be next.
6: Hi, Kim. Hi. This connects I think to what Laura just was talking about. Um, Yesterday, I think I was sitting and I was smiling. And you know, I've been working with this for about six months now, this smile and happiness. So um, I noticed it was just my face that was smiling and it wasn't going through my body. And I'm leading two guided meditations this week. And I both want to make them both about this smiling and, and then I was thinking about the ancient Jews who sometimes weren't allowed to practice, but had to practice in secret. And as, as I was sitting today, I was trying to smile without moving my face so that no one could see it. I was calling it to myself, the surreptitiously, surre- rep- surreptitiously. Surreptitious <laughs> smile, yeah, yeah. And you smile. Um, you know, and then trying to figure out is, is is there anything physical to a smile and also feeling, you know, through my body. Oh, and then last night watching a talk show host who was smiling and able to to run it through his whole body. Mm-hmm. It, you, you could hide his face and see that he was smiling and, and, and that was very beautiful. Um, so I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, except that it was a, it was an opportunity for me. To feel the difference between something that other people would might see in my face and feeling something through my body also we've come across that idea that if you smile if you're if you smile for 20 uh hug someone for 20 seconds uh endorphins go through your body and something changes and and um i actually had my blood pressure taken two days in a row and was um had a, a huge variation in points by trying to focus on how I was feeling and and relaxing my entire body. It was very interesting. I don't know if it was that, but it seemed to be that that made the difference. I also
0: liked one doctor and didn't like the other, and that seemed to... There's that. It's complicated, yeah. isn't it? About all these things that are impinging on us and that we're processing and we're shaping the way we organize experience. It's all happening all the time. And if we start to wake up to it, that's why I really like the title of the book we use for precepts, waking up to what you do. And one of the things I hear you saying today, Kim, with the emphasis on the smile, is you're just really paying attention to how much your body is the vehicle for practice and also feeling when it wasn't. That's right. But all that is. Is how central it is either way. Yeah. And. If we want to feel joy in the world, not just happiness, but the joy that can pervade even the difficulties, not cover them up, but be there with them, then that joy is a little different than just a smile on the face. But it begins with some sense of uh, priming that pump and opening our heart. Thank you.
3: Becky.
0: Hi, Becky. Still muted. There you go. Um,
5: This is gonna be a little bit tricky for me to talk about because it's one of those things where you have sort of a glimmer of something there and you don't know if other people have words for it. So that's where I'm starting from. Um, prior, Prior to... Coming involved with Akamada, which has just really been, I mean, actually actively in the last year and a bit. Um, I my meditational process was my my practice was mainly through Qigong and other physicalized things. Uh-huh. Uh, so whether that was you know, chopping wood or other things, you know, moving about in the garden or any of those things were my meditational times.
0: So you're using a mindful movement as yeah. of your practice.
5: Yeah, but but the depth of it in terms of, of meditation surprised me I in in terms of it was many aspects of what what I experienced doing Zazen. But Zazen has other layers and tools and aspects to it that are, of course, hugely more. But I, and, and when I first came, I just sort of was hearing, oh, you park per- your body and breathe, but, but you know, you're, it's all mind stuff. And I really see that that isn't true at all in yeah. our practice, in our shared practice of, of Zazen. Uh, but... since i've been doing zazen and when i was still able to actually do active qigong like standing up and the whole thing um i had a series of experiences doing that 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 was something else than than either of those had been and it's that i i I think we're underestimating our body's role in relationship to what might be available to us. I think that, yes, we can we can check in with it about how it's, you know, how are things feeling and how are they whatever and what information they can bring to our uh, awareness of self, uh, to our relationship, to our emotional mm-hmm. and heart life. Um, to our awareness of things we might need to do something about that are physical, etc. But just as the robe is vast outwardly, it also is vast inwardly. And that when 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 Sandra was offering the Qigong online. Um uh, then when things got really hard for me, one time she said, you know, just something that I had said to other people when I was sharing Qigong with them and so on is, you know, just listen to your body. And i go, well, of course, you know, that's what I'm doing here is I'm listening to my body. And then she said, your body knows. And somewhere that reverberated through me and what happened for me in the qigong after that for a while was a thing where it's like the the body has a way of directly communicating with the awareness and consciousness that we can have but there's a different step somehow to our having access to what that conversation is that's going on.
0: Uh, but we can't, that, And that conversation, that conversation is what practice helps you hear. Your body is your awareness. We think about being aware of our body, but your body is your awareness. Yes. And I say that you sometimes kind of straining, you said you were kind of trying to reach something you weren't sure about words because through your body, through the limitations of your body and your illness, through all this, you're beginning to touch closer and closer to the mystery, that's beyond words. But you can, you can you sense it, you feel it, you're awake to it. More and more. It isn't just your body, it isn't just your mind. There's something larger and the settling in Zazen allows you to begin to open to that.
5: I I I think that I think that we can find that place of of being able to uh, observe the conversation that we aren't actively involved in in our mind in our that's thinking right. mind
0: it's happening anyway
5: it is happening anyway for sure but i mean it, it all does make a lot of sense but it seems like there's so many there's so many possibilities that we are that's right that that we never even come across the idea of or never meet someone who talks about stuff or, or something. And partly, I think that's because people who do have things that people don't talk about, that, that it's, hard to, it's hard to say it.
0: Well, here, here's, here's part of the secret, and we're coming to the end of our time, but you know, it's part of why we have this inquiry, isn't it? So we have a place to talk about the things that people don't talk about and to talk about them in ways that people don't talk about them and to listen more deeply than we normally listen and to be nourished by that process and opened by that process and challenged by that process and loved ultimately by that.
5: And it's wonderful. Yes, you are. Thank you. Thank you. And all of
0: you. All, everyone. All that's of right. us. So together, um, Becky was just talking about the, uh, the Rogue Channel. So let's uh, complete with that now Enjoy your week. I look forward to seeing you next week. And Jessica?
3: Thank you so much, everyone. Appamata's programs and facilities are supported by your generosity and your generous contributions make such a difference. You can um, make a contribution online through the website at appamata.org for teachers like Flint and Peg and our interested teachers and for specific um, for specific efforts uh, like Flint's Dharma Transmission that's happening right now. Thank you so much. And um, I will be handing it over to Maria now for after inquiry. So see you guys all on the porch. <laughs> Thank you.